And we're going to look at this same story that we looked at last time, but look at it in a, in a little bit different light. Look at a different facet of this story. In Mark chapter 14, verse 3, While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why was this perfume wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. So what I want to focus on is the response of several people toward her. And it says that when she did this, it says that um, several people were, were, were remarking to one another and, and uh, they were scolding her. And they were indignantly remarking to one another. And we read in, John, in the Gospel according to John last week that one of those people was, was uh, uh, actually Judas Iscariot. But he wasn't the only one. There were several of the disciples who were scolding her. It, it said that, that uh, Judas's motivation was to have that money go, in, uh, go into the money box so that he could have spent it on his own things, so that he could pilfer it. But it wasn't just him. It was the disciples that were going after her for this. And Jesus, it says, he said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me. Jesus came to her aid and he, he rebuked the disciples. He said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. And this is what I want to think about this time. Is here's a woman doing a good deed to Jesus and people are coming against her. People are coming against her for something and Jesus stands and he defends her. In this case, he defended her action. But I want to look at, 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 at the hardness of heart that can come sometimes. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at a totally different story in Luke chapter 9. Well, we'll start reading at verse 51 so you get the context. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and when they entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. So what's the context here? Jesus was going toward Jerusalem. Remember, there was other instances where he was leaving Jerusalem, going through Samaria, and he did many great works in Samaria, and the people welcomed him for the great works that he had done. In Samaria, there was no problem for people to leave Jerusalem and walk away from Jerusalem through Samaria. The problem came if anyone was going to Jerusalem through Samaria. And then in that case, they were often hindered from going that way, or they were beaten up, or they were killed. So the Samaritans didn't want everyone, anyone going to Jerusalem through Samaria. So here Jesus' disciples are preparing a way for him, and he wasn't received. And so it says uh, um, they didn't receive him, in verse 53, because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. So what I want you to learn to do is read the Word of God very specifically. 
The reason they didn't receive him is because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. This makes sense with what history tells us, that, that people couldn't travel to Jerusalem through Samaria. And the reason for this is because they worshipped on the Temple Mount in Samaria <clears throat> had been set up another place of worship and that was not the temple worship to keep people from going to Jerusalem. And we read about this in Scripture. But what I want to focus on today is the response of Jesus' disciples and the response of Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 54, it says, When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So look at their response. Do you want us to have them killed? You know, with, with Jesus at their side, you can, if, 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 if you're a disciple of Jesus, you could feel pretty important, right? You know, Jesus is speaking and you're, you know, crowd control. Hey, 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 stand back, stand back. You know, give the guy room here. And, and so you're pretty important because, because you're, you're, you're part of his, his group. And Jesus has this enormous power. And he says, they say, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume him, consume them? This was never an action of Jesus. Jesus had never done this sort of thing. But they had read this about this sort of thing in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, they had read this. Which to them, was, there was no New Testament, so it was the Testament. It was the only, the only Scripture there was. And Jesus said to them, but He turned and He rebuked them. Jesus turned and He rebuked them. And some manuscripts include this portion, and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then he went on to another village. Look at the response of the disciples. They didn't receive you, Lord. Let's kill them. And look at the response of Jesus. He totally stops them. His response is very different than the response of the world. His response is never, kill the people, consume them. Never. You never see this. This is the response of the world. And in fact, this is the response often of the evangelical Christian world toward people that would oppose them. Or people that would oppose people that they're in favor of. It's very interesting. What would Jesus' response be? Think about evangelical Christian world sometimes, about their views of things, and what the response of Jesus would be. And Jesus says, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. So in other words, you're not speaking from the Holy Spirit. You are speaking from a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. That sort of response is not a response of the Holy Spirit. When you are speaking of another's destruction, it's not a response of the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember that when you take a political stance in a certain situation, just remember as believers, Jesus has called us to a different sort of response. Remember, not many of us are, are leaders of nations where we control armies. God has a specific task for them. Our response as believers is to mimic a response similar to that of Jesus's. Let's look in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we'll look at another situation. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19, so, and we'll start reading from verse 13. 
Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. And this is all to look at the response. Remember, his, the response of the, the people to Mary who was anointing Jesus for his burial was they were rebuking her. And Jesus rebuked them and came to her defense. Look, at, look in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone. And do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. So, children were coming to him, were being brought to him. So, you got children in their mother's arms or their father's arms, and they're being brought to Jesus to be prayed for. Not for baptism, but to be prayed for. And so, what do the crowd control guys do? The disciples, hey, hey, get those kids away. This guy's too important for kids. Go ahead. Get out of here, kid. You know, this, is, this is their response. And what does Jesus do? It says that he... So they were rebuking, and the disciples, it says, rebuke them. Rebuke the, the children being brought. And Jesus said, let the children alone and don't hinder them from coming to me. Jesus' response is again very different than the response of the world. Jesus' response is different than the response of the world. The response of the world is have nothing to do with these people. Jesus' response is different than that. Let's turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to start reading at verse 7. John chapter 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? So Jesus asks the woman for a drink. And she looks at him and she said, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus did not have a sign on his forehead that said Jew. How does she know that he's a Jew? Well, if you talk to people that live in Israel, they will tell you that they can tell, a Jew can tell an Arab, nine out of ten times they'll be right, just by the way they look. And an Arab can tell a Jew versus an Arab just by the way they look. Now remember though, in those days, Jesus walked according to the law and so he had the long locks of hair and and, and, uh, uh, he would have trimmed his, he would have kept his beard in a certain way. So it was, it was, uh, you know, very easy to tell. Just like if you were in Israel and you were looking at an Orthodox Jew, you don't confuse them with an Arab because they look very different. But look what the scripture says. It says in verse 9, Verse 9, it says, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Look how vivid this is now. The very next verse says, Jesus answered and said to her, I mean, how is that for black and white? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus said to her, Jesus was not conforming to the ways of the Jewish world at that time. He was going to relate to this woman. You see my point. Jesus was working very differently than the world was working. Very different than his culture was working. Very different than his religious culture was working. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, how much clearer could the Scriptures be in contrasting black and white in presenting Jesus' dealings with people that was contrary to the dealings of how people in His community dealt with other people. You see how He was dealing. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now this is a different instance where another woman is coming and anointing Jesus. This is not being anointed for His burial. This is another woman. And so we're going to read Luke chapter 7. And we're going to start reading from verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Samaritans was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house. One of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table... In the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a sinner. And then Jesus goes on to tell a story. And then he goes on to reprove this, this Pharisee. He says, I came in your house. You never washed my feet. You never gave me a kiss. You never anointed me with oil. But this woman is doing all of this. She's been forgiven much. She loves much. And so she's, she's been forgiven much. And so she loves much. You've been forgiven little. And so you love little. This is the story that he tells him. This is a different story than what we had just read in Mark. This is a different Mary. This Mary, and this is not in the home of, of Simon the leper. This is the home, in the home of a Pharisee. So he's invited into someone else's home, even. He's in someone else's home. Not in his own home. Remember, Jesus didn't have a home. It says he had no place to lay his head. He's not even in one of his disciples' home. He's not, we see him in one instance in the home of Peter. He's not in Peter's home. This is a Pharisee's home. He's invited in as a guest. A woman of the city who is a sinner. Sinner is a euphemism for a prostitute. So a woman who is a prostitute hears that Jesus is there. Now remember, the amazing thing is not that Jesus went to sinners. The amazing thing is that sinners went to Him. She goes there. She's learned that He's there. She goes and says, He was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So their tables were very low and they would get a pillow, put it under their, their elbow there, and they'd lean down and they'd be sort of lying down with, up on their elbow and at this low table. So it says she was behind him, standing, verse 38, standing behind him at his feet. She was behind him at his feet. So that makes sense. It wouldn't make sense if he were in a chair 
You don't go behind him at his feet. It all makes sense based on the way that they would recline at the table. And she is pouring this oil on his feet, weeping and washing his feet with her, wiping his feet with her tears and her hair. And it says that, that in verse 39, now, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, he didn't even verbalize this. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So he discounts Jesus' prophetic gift, doesn't even give him the benefit of the doubt of being a prophet. Because he said if he were a prophet, he wouldn't be allowing this woman to be touching him. I am sure that that woman was not normally in this Pharisee's house. And she felt comfortable going there because Jesus was there and there were probably crowds there anyway, so she slipped in with the crowds. Jesus answers what this man said to himself. Did you know that when we have a thought, God even knows our thoughts? And that's why often we have a thought and the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of our thoughts. Because God knows our thoughts, the Spirit that dwells within us speaks to us regarding our thoughts. And so he starts to address this man and he starts to defend this woman. Look at what Jesus does. The whole culture said have nothing to do with that type of woman. He's a quote-unquote religious man. Shouldn't he keep his witness clean? You know, for witnesses' sake, I must get rid of this woman. No. He said, look what she's doing. She's doing a good deed to me. His actions were so contrary to the world's actions, not just the world's, not just to, to his community, but to the religion in which he was following, so contrary to it. The Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, Jesus said to her. If this man were a prophet, he would know what type of woman it is who's touching him. Prostitutes are known to have disease and to be dirty, filthy, in many, many contexts. And Jesus just allowed her to touch him. And, and you know, these, her tears are all over him, so there's bodily fluids from this woman falling on Jesus' feet. He's not saying, oh, come, come on now. Maybe she did have viruses and diseases from being a prostitute. Jesus still didn't stop her. Do you see his response is so different than the response of the world? You know, I, I used to do prison ministry, and in, I started doing prison ministry in 1989. And for 10 years, when I was teaching at the State University, I would go into the, the, the prisons in that town, and at, at one particular maximum security prison, and during Christmas events, we could, we could invite in our families, the, 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 the people who were teaching the Bible study in the prison, we could invite in our families and they'd give us not a room there in the, in the dorms where they lived, but they'd give us a big hall and the, and the, the, the residents there, the, the inmates, the residents would come in and our families could meet the people that were attending the Bible study, but not just the people who attended the Bible study, we would invite the whole unit, which was like the whole dormitory. We would invite them all in to come. 
And one of the men that I would, would go in with was, was a, a former drug dealer himself that had given his life to the Lord and he had a tremendous witness. But his wife came in that day because we could bring our families with us. And I would always bring in my wife and my little kids and, and they would meet these guys. And there was one particular guy that we would always see that we would go in. This was, remember, this was in the early 90s. And this man would dress like a woman and he would act like a woman, he would speak like a woman, and he played the role of a woman there in the institution to service the men. And this is not unusual in prisons, and even though that this was, this was uh, 25 years ago, this was not unusual in the prisons at that time. And, and uh, um, he never communicated with us, and he never came to the Bible studies, but when he came in there, this, this former drug dealer and his wife were with me, and, and uh, uh, she looked at him when he came walking into this Christmas party, and he had, he had high heels on, and he was dressed like a woman, acted like a woman, and she looked at him, and she said, what's your name? And he said, my name is Precious. And she said to him, what's your real name? He said, my name is Ernest. She said, Ernest, you don't need to be like this. You'll be much happier if you follow Jesus. You can give your life to Jesus. Typical church people, especially at that time, 25 years ago, were so turned off by this that they would have nothing to do with this man. But this woman, whose husband was a former drug dealer, and she herself also grew up in that type of an environment before the two of them had given their hearts to the Lord, she was not inhibited. And she said, tell me your real name. And she began to talk with him. The next week, so the Christmas party was over, the next week, guess who comes walking into the Bible study when we're in the unit? It's this man, Ernest. And he wasn't dressed like a woman anymore. And he stood up in the Bible study as we were starting. He said, I'd like to say something. I said, go ahead. He stood up, he said, my name is no longer precious. My name is Ernest. And I've given my life to Jesus. There is so much in our culture which will tell us to shun the sinner. Which will tell us to, to refrain from interacting with people. Because somehow we say, well, you know, for the children's sake, we don't want the children to see this. Well, go explain to your children. There are people who do certain things and explain it to them. Or, you know, the, the old people, the, they're not used to this type of thing. Well, let them get used to it. The world changes. We are going to witness the love of Jesus. You will never draw people back by shunning them. There was a book written called The Prodigal Son. And what they did is they interviewed Christians who had left the faith and gone away from Christianity. Some came back to the Lord and others never came back. And they interviewed both classes of people, the ones that came back and the ones that never came back. Every time the ones that came back to the Lord had this sort of response, my family never shunned me. They always loved me and they welcomed me back. And I came back. And you see the same in the story of the prodigal son. When the son came back, the father, it says, 
saw him from a long distance away. His father was watching for him. And when he came back, his father didn't say, you know, why why don't you grovel for a while? Go ahead, fall on the ground for a while. Every time there was a family like that, the, the people who stayed away, who never came back, they asked them, why did you never came back? What was your family? Well, my family put before me an ultimatum. Either I changed my ways or I'm not welcome back. And in every case, they stayed away. The family is to love them. And we love them into the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean we condone what they do. Jesus didn't condone the practice of that Samaritan woman. In fact, that Samaritan woman, she said, I have no husband. He said, go and call your husband. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you speak truthfully, you have no husband. Because you've had five husbands. And the one whom you're with now is not your husband. And she said, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Well, look at what Jesus did. Jesus could have said when she said, I have no husband, he could have said, you stinking prostitute woman, you've had five husbands and you're living with a man now. He could have said that. But look what he said. He said, you speak honestly, I have no husband. Because you had five and the one that you're with now is not your husband. So you're speaking honestly. So you see what he does. He takes her little bit of a deception And he turns it around and says, you're speaking honestly. You see what he did? He just embraced her. Even in her lying, he embraces her to feel good about, yeah, I am telling the truth. You know, she can start feeling good about herself. What he does is he just welcomes this woman in. Not only did they not have dealings with Samaritans, they didn't have dealings with these type of women. From the dual side, he should have had nothing to do with her. And Jesus just breaks all the norms of his religious upbringing, of his experiences, of his society, and he goes and he reaches out. This should be the response of the church, I think. And for me, it's like pulling teeth, dealing with the church to receive people that are not like them. This is the very people that God wants us to reach out to. The very people, we should be like, wow, God, you have so blessed us to bring these people to, just, and you embrace them, and you love them. That is the only way to bring them into the kingdom. If we put ultimatums before people, there's not too many people that are going to come. Look at the response of Jesus. Who does Jesus reprove in case after case after case? It's not this quote-unquote, sinner. It's the disciples. His reproof is to the disciples. Let the woman alone, he says. She's doing a good deed. Leave her alone. He says to Simon the Pharisee, he says to this Pharisee, he says, I came into your home and you're not not doing anything for her. I mean, you're not doing anything for me. And his name is Simon as well. Because in in Luke chapter 7, verse 40, he says, Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, say it, teacher. And then he goes on to this teaching. The reproof is for the religious people. If Jesus were here, he would reprove us for our response, not them. 
He's saying they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't have the sense to follow me. Show them what it is. This air of religious stuff. And if you think, well, you know, look, look at the sexual disorder in these people. I'll tell you something. I've had sexual disorders in my life. You say, well, you're, you're past that. or something. Well, I'm past that in the physical, but still I struggle in the mental. Still I struggle in my mind. It's just you don't see it. But I see it. And God sees the struggle in my own mind. And He doesn't shun me and say, well, when you get your mind cleaned up, then you come to me. That's kind of hard for me. Doing the best I can. But He's never said it to me like that. He welcomes me. You know, we could start thinking we're so clean because it's not showing on the outside, but if we really examine our own lives, it's really not that clean. The hypocrisy that we as believers can have to think that we're better than somebody else or we don't have that struggle, it's just because it's not, you know, we're not, I'm not standing here wearing high heels or something. I mean, it's not, it's not that obvious. But all of us have struggles. And, and uh, uh, we struggle with something that they may never struggle with. Everybody has struggles. His rebuke was toward the disciples. When they felt that they were more righteous than these Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't welcome them. Let's have them killed. She said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. This is the spirit that gives us the response that shuns the other. The response that shuns the other is not the spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit of another. Jesus said to his disciples, you've got another spirit working in you. We welcome them. And that is the only way to draw them in. And that's what we've been called to. Let the little children go. Let them come to me. Let these women come to me. Let these people come to me. That's the response of Jesus. And that's to be our response. That's what He calls us to. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Lord Jesus, You came and You demonstrated to us what it means to reach out to others, what it means to go against the norms of society, to go against the norms of our culture, of our religion, to be like Jesus. Father, help us to be more like Jesus when this woman, this prostitute, just her, her tears are falling all over him and she's kissing his feet, he welcomes her. Father, it's not always clean, it's not always sanitary, but it's the way you have for us. Father, I pray that you would take each person in their lives here and you teach them to walk like Jesus. Father, get a hold of our hearts. Get a hold of our hearts. And let us be more like Him, I pray. I pray for these young people that they would be more like Jesus and reflect His life and His love for the glory of God. Amen.